0: welcome to nest church and thanks for listening to our podcast we hope this word blesses you today for more information visit nestchurch.com we hope to see you soon and remember You are if you're taking notes go ahead and write this down um, it's titled My Message, Our Message, Your Message, His Message. Weird, right? Us pastors were like, My message today is titled, Whose Message Really Is It? All right. God's Message Today is titled, <laughs> What a Time. What a time. What a time. You've ever you've ever got come home from a day or from a night, and you say, What a time. Maybe not. I know I say weird phrases sometimes. You're like, no, no one says that. So corny. <laughs> No one speaks like that here. This is Hialeah. We say something different. All right, but whatever. What a time. Um, I know that if I put on the TV, if I put on the radio, if I have my phone on, within minutes, your kid is all right. Your child's fine. Who's child that is. Hopefully it's mine. Let me pause for a moment and do a little disclaimer slash encouragement. I, I, I'm a big fan of this. When we... We do backyard meetups at our, we do Bible studies in the backyard. We're going to start them up again at our, at our house. I love to see the kids running around and making noise. And when we started our church and we were in living rooms, I love to hear the kids. It's a healthy sound. Even if they stub their toe and they're crying, it's healthy. All right. Even if they're laughing, even if a teacher's talking a little bit louder out there teaching for me, it doesn't bother me to say, oh, my gosh, let's shut them up because we need to. I, th- I think for us as a church, it should be encouraging. So hopefully that was my daughter crying uh, or screaming or whatever that was. It was a squeal, right? What, what do you call that thing? A screech, yeah. yeah. If not, if any parent knows, oh, that was my kid, you know, you feel free to just say, that was mine. It's, we're good. All right. But if uh, as we get back into what a time and into this message, you know, we put on our phones and whatever, it's just automatically the other, other stuff that we receive from media, all the stuff that we receive on our phones, from the news, from the radio, you could just sit back and say, what a time we're in. Anyone with me? What a time we are in. We're living in a time, and I want to share this, and I want to try to be as clear as possible, as loving as possible, um, but also um, to build and to encourage and to bring growth. Because... This is what I feel deep in my heart. And I believe that we're living in a time where builders are being exposed. Where builders are being exposed. Meaning how we build, what we build on, the materials we're using, the time that is being spent in the building. All of that is surfacing. It's it's showing us what we're truly all about hopefully you're with me with that and some during this time have shown to be wise builders and others have shown to be foolish builders don't sit here and think for once that I'm calling you a fool or that I'm calling you wise either I'm just saying what scripture says some are wise builders and some are foolish builders when you leave here today and you walk out that door, or if we have an altar call and we could just pray for each other, however, whatever happens, what God may want to do today, you decide what kind of builder you are. No one will beat that over the head because God knows your heart. You know your deep thoughts and where you're at. Some have been wise. Some have been foolish. And when you think about a building, you know, we all judge and we all critique analyze building structures actually one of a show that i love it's on netflix and um they take you all around the world and they show you these i guess they're mansions or or they're more than mansions i don't know what they're called but they're crazy buildings and they have weird structures and and it's amazing like i just I, i love to watch some of those things i don't know if i don't know if any of you know the name of that show but it's real cool it's extraordinary homes i don't know what it's called something like that and um and I just marvel at some of those buildings. You know, I'm just like, wow, the shape. There's like a pool in the eighth floor of a house. Like, who has an eighth floor? And then the pool comes out, and it looks like you're, it's just unreal, some of these houses. We judge, we critique, we analyze these building structures by how they appear. Think about building structures for a moment. Some are modern, and some are built to represent a past time. Some are still lasting from a Pastime, obviously, are still standing. But we marvel. And most likely, most of us, or many of us, we marvel at the large, the large, elegant, right? The exquisite, the adorned ones. Those are the ones that really catch our attention. I mean, I'm thinking like when you're driving down the street and you see a shack, you're like, oh my gosh, that's a beautiful shack. Or when you drive down the street and you see this elegant exquisite just house and it's different and it's weird but it's beautiful you're like whoa and you just pause and you stop and look at that house and you marvel at that building how beautiful it is to your eyes i'm sure we all share that together but something that we've learned and recently learned here um, in miami by the horrible incident especially in surfside that as beautiful and as strong as a building may seem outwardly, as tall as the building may stand, as exquisite as the building may appear, if it is not built on the proper foundation, that building will not last the test of time. Amen? And that's the truth behind any building. We could spend so much time and So much resources, so much of ourselves focusing on what is seen all while paying little attention to what everything is really built upon. Let me just focus on what people see and not really focus on what my life is truly rooted in. So I want to visit a parable, and you already know where I'm going with this, taught by Jesus Jesus, uh, his longest recorded sermon, preaching, it's interesting, it's, it's one that we know and, we, and, and has been named the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, that is Jesus' longest recorded preaching on paper. Outside of the Sermon on the Mount, we see little teachings and parables and stuff like that. But on this day, on this mountain... He, he, he just went long, and he taught about a lot of things. He spoke about so many things that he felt his listeners needed to hear. When we went to Israel, there was a church right there on that mountain, and we saw the little area where, where he would have stood, and if you speak, you could see how his voice, he used the region, how it would echo, and it would—it used—it was like an amplifying system. He used landscape, where everyone, the crowd, would be able to hear him in this long sermon that he was about to give. And we were able to stand right there, in the very same place where Jesus um, teaches and preaches on this sermon on this mountain called the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts in Matthew, and it starts in chapter five. If you want to go back home and and you want to read through Jesus's. Longest recorded sermon, you could do that, and it ends in chapter seven. So it's in Matthew five, all the way to chapter seven. It's three chapters worth of teaching, and Jesus goes off. He truly does. He goes off on these teachings. He we learn so much. We learn about He starts off with speaking about the Beatitudes and blessed are those, happy are those who who are like this, who do these things, and he breaks down the Beatitudes. I'm just going to give you some of the things that Jesus speaks about. He speaks about salt and light, about the law, all the different topics. Normally when a preacher stands up, he'll grab one topic and expound that thing, and for 45 minutes to an hour, what Jesus spoke about all these things, about the law, about anger, about adultery, about divorce. About vows, keeping your vows, keeping your promises. He spoke about revenge. He spoke about loving your enemy. Can you imagine that? Popular, very popular preaching title, loving your enemies. He spoke about giving, the heart of giving, and giving to those who are in need. He spoke about prayer and fasting. Jesus, as he did often as well, he spoke about money, believe it or not. He spoke a lot about money here. He spoke about property and how to handle property. He was very wise, Jesus. He spoke about judging. He spoke about having an effective prayer life. I mean, so many things Jesus spoke about. You guys get the point. He spoke about a lot. But what I want to go over today is what he saves for the end of his sermon. He he speaks about all those things that I just said. But out of all the things that he says or could have said, he decides to say, in closing, as a speaker would do if they're giving some sort of discourse or some some sort of teaching, they would say, in closing, and you know that it's coming into a wrap. And as Jesus is about to wrap his sermon, in closing, how does he end it? He ends it with, "Let me tell you a story. You with me? L- let me end with the story. Because who doesn't like a story? We're all from Hialeah or from around this area, and I'll be honest with you, I'm from more of the Westchester area, and it's not that different from Hialeah, the culture, all right? What I mean is, if someone says, "Oh, do I have something to tell you? You're going to what?" Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. An hour later is going to pass. And you're going to say, hey, you know, you haven't told me what you said you wanted to tell me. <laughs> it's part of our culture. It's part of who we are here in Miami. We can't let it go. You opened up the can of worms. Now you better tell me the story because I like some good old story, some achievement, because it does something to me. You guys see what I'm saying? It, it wasn't any different in Jesus' time. He's teaching all these beautiful points, but at the end he says, hey, i got to tell you all a story. I want to wrap this up with something. Let me just get your attention. I know I've gone long-winded here, but I need you to draw your ear in. And then what he does is he shares what we know is called a parable. It's the conclusion of his sermon, and yet he's going to use a story. How many preachers today would be against such a preaching style? But he does it. He closes with a story. It's his finishing point. It's how he's going to bring everything that he just spoke about. Money and adultery and judging judging and and, and, and loving your enemies. He's going to grab all those things. And this is how he's going to wrap it up to make his point across it. And the more that you read chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew the more his ending makes sense. And what I mean by that is this, that if you're going to talk about all that we just mentioned, salt, light, law, anger, adultery, divorce, promises, revenge, loving your enemies, giving to those in need, prayer, all of that, if you're to grab all of those things and be successful in them, then one thing is certain. One thing is certain. It must come from a good place. From a healthy place. Here it is. It must be built upon a good foundation. So Jesus is saying. After everything that I just said. If it's not built on a good foundation. The building is going to fall. So, so think about how he ends that. Jesus is wise. The greatest preacher that ever lived. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So here is his. Enough of the T's, right? Just come on, share with us how he ended the sermon. Here it is. This is how Jesus closes his sermon. It's a very popular scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. I'll read all the way through 29. Here it says this. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings or these words of mine. Everyone say words. And does them Another translation says, acts on them. So the words that you hear call you to take action. You see that? Whoever hears these words and acts on them, there should be action from his word that has been given to you. Right there, there's a truth already that he's saying. So whoever hears these words, sayings of mine, and does them, acts on them. I will liken him to a wise man. Remember we said there are builders and they're being exposed. Some are wise, some are foolish. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone say rock. So the rain descended, there's a storm coming, and the floods came. We could relate to verse 25 here. And the winds blew and they beat on the house and it did not fall. Please listen to this next part. For it was founded, foundation, rooted in, it was founded in the rock. Everyone can say amen to that. But he's not done. Those are wise. Verse 26 I'm gonna repeat, he says, and he says the same thing. But everyone who hears these sayings, these words of mine, and doesn't act. So you have two kinds of people. You have one who hears his word, and they recognize I need to act on the word of God. And then there's another person who hears the word and says, Well, I'm not going to act on his word. These are two different people groups: one who act on the word, and the others who do not act. Upon his word, he says this. There will be like a foolish man who built his house, but he built it on sand. And the same storm comes. And as the same storm hits this man, it says the rain descended. The floods came. The winds blew. They beat on the house. And and it fell. And look at how it fell. And great was its fall. Maybe you've been blessed to not have the opportunity to see something like this. But I've seen men, women with great notoriety, great respect, great authority, instantly like a building. I've seen them collapse (laughs) to never gain their ministry again, to never gain. What was once theirs in Christ. And when you look closely, what happened to that downfall of that person? Most of the times you look closely and you'll see that it was a house that was built on sand. So when it was time for them to last, they couldn't. This message has a lot to do with this one truth, if anything, that the Christian life is one that is called to persevere. It's not to look good for a moment or give your best to Jesus for the first five years of your salvation. The Christian life, to walk with Christ, to give him his best to, in everything. It's for the rest of your life till you go to reign with him. Perseverance to the end. And that is there's so much here, but I don't want to open that up, but there's so much. He says, and great was its fall. They were foolish. So it was, verse 28, when Jesus ended all these sayings, all these teachings, on the Sermon on the Mount, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The scribes had a lot of knowledge, but Jesus had authority that backed up his knowledge. Amen. English Standard goes to describe this, and I quote, it says, this parable brings the Sermon of the Mount to a... Close as Jesus calls for his audience. And look what Jesus is calling his audience to do. It's to decide. To decide between himself and the religious establishment of their day. And he's drawing a dividing line between himself and any other foundation of life. So Jesus is standing before a group, and as he speaks to a group like this, he draws a line and he tells them, decide for yourself whether you will be founded on me or on these other things that you've decided to find, found your life in. I don't know if that's the proper context, of, the proper wordage for that. But yeah, you know what I mean. You use those things as your foundation rather than me. Any other foundation is making a point. That the evidence of whether one is truly a believer is in whether one does the words of Jesus. I'm drawing a line. It's like the parable of the lambs and the wolves kind of thing. You know, I'm drawing a line and I'm trying to see who really is the one that acts on my word. This is a sermon which is so interesting as he wraps it up because he's not concerned with, the const- with house construction or. or, or or, like building code violations, like, like we see here when we want to build a house and, on property. Instead, there's a spiritual meaning to this story, there's a spiritual meaning to this parable. The proper foundation for a life is Jesus' words. We, each one of us, we're all building, we're all building. Every single one of you, I don't know if you know this, but leave here today knowing that you are a builder. I should have given every single one of you a hammer, a chisel, something like that when you walked in. Just so you could walk out remembering, I'm a builder. I'm called to build. And if I'm going to build, I need to build on a proper foundation. You should be writing that down in your notes. You should be memorizing that. If I'm going to build, I need to build a proper foundation. Some of you are thinking about starting a family. Some of you are thinking about getting married. Some of you are thinking about starting a new career. Some of you are thinking about opening up a business. Whatever it is, if you're gonna build, it needs to be built upon the right foundation. It may grow, it may succeed. It may, I mean, it may be amazing the first 10 years, but that which you're building, will it last the test of time? Will it persevere to the end? Will your marriage persevere? Will your family persevere? Will your career persevere? The proper foundation for a life in Jesus is Jesus' words. It's not just hearing them, but it's, hey, I know what I've heard, and now I have to do them. It's exactly how we opened up with. It's James chapter 1, verse 22. His half-brother, James himself, says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. You know what happens to a person that is like that? They deceive themselves, Scripture says. They deceive themselves. I hope that there's no one here that is living in deception. Because you have actually put it in your mind to think, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm doing good and everything's well because I hear the word of God. No, you're, you're deceiving yourself. You are not called to just hear the word of God. You're called to be a doer of that which you also heard. Don't leave here full of deception thinking that I'm okay and I'm fine because I heard the word of God. You're not called just to just just hear it. You're called to also do it. Come on, God's people. These two houses, they were different. And in their differences, it wasn't their external appearance. They both were homes built upon a foundation. And they both were very similar. They both were very similar in how they looked. They were both described as houses. So it was like, I think that's a house and I'm not sure what that is. You knew what they both were. They were both built similar. They were houses. But the key in this story is not necessarily of that which you could see that it's built but it's the foundation the house on the rock pictures a life that is founded on a proper foundation on a proper relationship and that is solely to jesus christ and it will stand the test of even christ's judgment but the house on the sand will fall and fail the test of the judgment of jesus christ I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. One preacher, and I'll share something that he says, said that once he had a crack in a wall of his house, and no matter how many times he had it fixed, the crack came back. Anyone been there? All right, good. When I read this, I said, yeah. And finally, he learned the problem wasn't with the wall. The problem was a shifting foundation. So many of us, we have cracks in our lives. There's emotional. There's relational. There's financial. We got cracks. But what happens with many people who have cracks in their lives is they begin to address the symptoms of those cracks. The symptoms. Oh, maybe I'll just plaster it some more. I'll just cover it up and then we'll repaint it. And many people, they address the symptoms, not necessarily the source of their problems. If you have cracks in your lives, today is a great opportunity as a reminder to to leave here saying, I'm no longer just going to deal with the symptoms. I'm going to start addressing the source of my problems. Come on, how many of you could say amen? Stop waiting for a man or for a woman or for a pill or for a person to sit in their office on a couch Stop thinking that they alone are the only ones that can do it. I'm telling you, come before the presence of your God and say, I need to start dealing with my problems and, and not just the symptoms. If you want stability in your personal life, in your family, in your ministry, your career, anything in your life, your community, you need strong, a sturdy foundation, and that is God's word and and as you receive God's word and live in God's word, it's going to build you up in knowledge. But not only in knowledge, it's going to also call you to apply it to your life. He calls one builder a wise. Everyone say wise. And he calls the other one a foolish. Everyone say fool. Wisdom. Wisdom is the ability and the willingness to apply spiritual truth in life circumstances. That's wisdom. Wisdom. I have this circumstance. How do I apply that what I know? That's using wisdom. Foolishness is the total opposite. It's the unwillingness to apply it to your life. You're a fool. You knew what to do and you didn't do it. You're a fool. My children are growing and they need to grow in wisdom. But I'm recognizing that in their young age, you see a lot of foolishness. Yes or no? So what is your job as a parent? to do your best to grow them in wisdom don't do that so much because why? Well, you're going to get stru- struck and then what well, you're going to be electrocuted you know that that's not good for you and you're going you could call and they do it it's, like, it's just so foolish and that's how I am so often in my life not to pick on anyone here where we know we have knowledge and even biblical knowledge of a circumstance and yet we're unwilling to do it that's foolishness amen So very simple, quickly, assertive. I want to encourage us all today. And I want to go back to what a time. Because we're living in a moment, and I believe this, that no other generation has ever seen. The time that we're living. Congratulations. If you thought you were of no worth, okay, and you're all depressed and down on yourself, I want to congratulate you. Because for whatever reason it is, God decided that this is the generation that needed to be alive for a time that the world has never seen. So congratulations. God must think that all of you are very special. <laughs> this is the time that God has called us to live. And it's a time in which we've never seen in this world. I know you could talk to me about the 60s, and, but worldwide the things that we're seeing and hearing the things that are happening there's chaos all around there's uncertainty there's divisions and there are fights like never before there's extreme global christian persecution there are wars yes Wars and there are rumors of wars. There is sickness like never before. There is an apostasy on this earth like never before. An apostasy is specifically, obviously, towards God. The family unit is being redefined. Genders are being I don't know, what is it called? Remodified. Sex and sexuality is being tarnished. What a time the church is living in. I don't think I need to go on, right? On all the things that are happening all around us. But we could all agree that these are times to take notice of. And I would dare to say... That these days may actually be the greatest blessing from God for those who are, act, who are inhabiting the earth. Why would you say that? There's a curse on the earth. Not if you look closely. It may be God's greatest blessing for this world. You may not understand that, but it is. And I'll explain to you. In Numbers chapter 21, taking notes, go back and visit that when you get home. There was a great tragedy that struck the Israelites. They decided to continue to live in sin. I'm going to be very honest with you. They continued to build their house on sand. And because of that, it says that the serpents, for all you that are fans of snakes, the serpents were sent to their camp and many of them were struck and bitten by serpents and they began to die. You've ever read this story? In Numbers 21, it's a a fascinating story, it really is. God then instructs Moses, who is the leader of these people in the wilderness. And he tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And when those that have been struck by a snake, they look at the serpent that you put on the pole. Immediately, when they look at it, they will be healed. How many of you would say, well, that's not nice. You're putting the very thing, the very curse on the pole that is, to put, that is to heal me. It's almost like a mockery, Moses, when he tells everyone, hey, I built you guys a bronze serpent. So do me a favor. If any of you or your children get bit, just look at it and you'll be healed. Can you imagine being led by such a leader? Oh, he's lost his mind. He's making fun of us. No, the Lord says it. Oh, he's not hearing from God anymore. (laughs) And that's what Moses is instructed by the Lord to do. What what was a curse? What was evil? What was bad for the land? When you read closely in Numbers 21, God was going to use it to bring healing. I hope you understand that, that statement right I just said. That which was bad for the land, God was going to use it to bring healing. Much later, Jesus in his ministry goes on to say that this bronze serpent was a foreshadow, a foreshadow of him. In Galatians chapter 3.13, Paul writes to the church of Galatia, and this serpent it was a symbol, and on this pole, and it was a symbol of sin, a symbol of judgment, and it was lifted up from the earth. And it was put on this pole, and it was just like Jesus. Jesus was this person, and he carried the sin. He carried the wrath of the Father on the cross, and he was lifted up on the earth, just like the serpent was. And as he was put there on a tree, he was that. Look at that, a symbol of a curse, a man dying a shameful death. The serpent lifted up and cursed symbolized Jesus in the Old Testament who takes away sin from everyone who will look at him in faith. Just like the Israelites, they had to look at this un- upraised, disgusting symbol, this, this serpent in the wilderness. Paul now is writing in the New Testament in Galatians, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he's reminding the church that Jesus also became a curse. And the reason why he became a curse was for all of us. He became that snake. That, that which is killing you, I become it. What, 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 what was killing Jesus' time? There was sin. Sin was killing humanity. And because of it, Jesus says, I need to go on the cross, a shameful death. I have to die the cursed. I have to be accursed on the cross, carry the sin of this world, so that everyone could look at me with faith and that they could have life and life abundantly. I will take their sin for them. He became a curse for us. But I want you to know that as he became a curse, he was blameless. He was without sin. I'm, I'm going to tell you what John called him and what many called him, even in the Old Testament, like Isaiah. He was the spotless lamb of God. And God made him, as Second Corinthians tell us, tells us, chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, Jesus We might become the righteousness of God. So, why share all this? Because the earth is being shook. If you're standing and you don't feel like this whole earth is being shook, I really want to hang out with you. And it's not just in the States. Nations all around are being unraveled. There seems to be occurring a grip that has been loosened. And now nothing is promised. More than ever, people are questioning their salvation. Or at least they're questioning their eternity. Which I think is the greatest place for people to be at. To question if they even know Jesus. And if it causes a curse for the whole land, for one person to say, I don't know if I know Jesus, then that curse in the whole land was worth it if that one soul comes to know the Lord. Many are saying, I don't know what I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm really following him, I don't know if I'm gonna go to heaven, I don't know. I feel like I think I'm gonna go to hell if I die. And a lot of conversations like that are happening all around us. That which is a curse, for example, I'm gonna go back to the parable. The rain is descending. Oh, no, the curse on the land. The floods are rising. The winds are blowing. All of it beating on your house. That which is a curse beating on your house. But it may just be to show you. And I say you, not because I'm picking on any of you, but maybe there's someone here to show you, to show many. Though it's all bad, look closely because I'm using it for good. And I'm using it for good in you. The beating of the winds, the rain and the floods is serving its purpose. And it's revealing your house. And it's revealing what your house is truly built upon. Please hear what I just said. Why all the rain, God? When is it going to stop? Have you in the last 18 months have asked God, when is this going to stop? When will people stop dying? When will people stop fighting? When will people stop dividing themselves? Oh God, when will this end? All of the winds, the rains, and the flood may be serving the sole purpose to reveal to to many. I just want you to really look deep within and recognize what your life is built upon. It's causing many, the days that we're living in, to look at their foundation and realize, learn if there are cracks in it. It's causing so many to notice that they spent so much on building their physical lives that they haven't paid attention or spent enough time building up their spiritual life. And people are noticing that all that I've put my trust in has failed me. Man's failed me. They've failed me. It's failed me. Many can't trust anymore. They've been lied to. It, there's been hypocrisy, dishonesty. And I believe that the Lord is doing a work and He's sharing with us what we've quoted for so long. And that is Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. The Lord is doing a work. And it's to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you which path to take. So I'll quote again what Jesus says. Whoever hears these sayings and does them. Is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain descends, flood comes, winds blow, beat on the house. It does not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings and does not do them is... Like a foolish man who built his house on sand, the rain descends, the flood comes, the wind blows and beats on the house and it fell and great was its fall. I can't stress enough that it is a unique time. A unique time that we're living in. A time like never before. Come on, what a time. But here's the statement of all statements. What will it tell of you? I know what it will say about the years that we're living in. But I want to know what are the books going to say about your house? What are the generations going to say about your building? Where's your foundation? Is it healthy? Is it cracked? Is your building swaying and it's about to crumble? do you sense that at any moment now this is collapsing on us or because of the days that you're living and you say there's one thing i am more certain in christ than i've ever been before where are you the health of your building that is determined by the strength of your foundation ephesians chapter 2 paul writes and it says, "So then you're no longer strangers, you're no longer foreigners. You're fellow citizens and saints, members of God's household." Here's a building. Here's a building right here. Verse 20. And as we are members, we're no longer lost. Come on, we're no longer lost. If you're lost today, I want to speak to you. I'll stay here as long as I have to to make sure that you're found. You're no longer a foreigner or a stranger, but you're now fellow citizens, you're co-heirs, you're saints. To God's household. So now look what verse 20 says. He says, you're built. You're built on the foundation. The foundation. And what is the foundation that you and I are built on? On the apostles and the prophets. With Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Why apostles and prophets? Because it's the message of the apostles and the message of the prophets. were what? The words of God. So we're built on the words of God. Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. The whole building, everyone say the whole building is being put together by Jesus and it grows into this holy sanctuary, this holy temple in the Lord and you're being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. I read Ephesians 2:19 to 22 and I say is the church really here? Or is the nest even really here yet? Are we being built together? Together we're one unit. We're one unit for God's dwelling. Why do you guys gather? We gather because we are the dwelling place of God. We are the house of God. We are the holy sanctuary of the Lord. So now more than ever, because the... Because the Satan, because the enemy, Satan himself, knows the word, what will he do? Let me divide that which is caused to be built together? Because if I could divide that which is built together, will the Lord truly reign and govern in the midst of a divided building? So that's what is happening with your family. That's what's happening with the churches. That's what's happening all around with people. The enemy comes and he tries to get in the middle, and people start whispering in people's ears. We are God's dwelling for God Himself. You're being built together for the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. What a time! And if there's anything that the church could do, is that in the middle of death, be life. In the middle of darkness, be light. In the middle of chaos, be hope. If we could just be built together for God's dwelling. As God's dwelling in the spirit, amen? We're living in such a time. So what are some things that scripture tells us will occur since I'm saying all these things and since we're building on a strong foundation what will occur in the last days? I don't have time to go into all of it. We'll be here for weeks and weeks and weeks but I'll fly through it. So here's some of the things that will happen. I want you to measure this. You know those measuring scales that you just drop like a you drop something on it and it just alright good. I want you to drop on that scale, as we go through this, the last days, the last times, there's going to be a great falling away. There's going to be an apostasy or rebellion. People will turn from truth. We see that in Second Thessalonians chapter two. There will be scoffers who mock Christ. They ridicule the things of God, and they oppose the gospel. We see that in Second Peter three and Judge, um, in Jude chapter one. There will be lawlessness. Disorder, because truth is disregarded. There will be times of difficulty. Scripture says perilous times. What does that mean? There will be times of danger and risk. That'll be Second Timothy chapter three. Oh, but not here. You tell me if the Afghan Christians today are not living in the times of great danger and risk. Don't think that you just live in a world that is separate from the other world. You live in a world where many are going through all these things. People will chase their own passions. And only want to hear what pleasures them. They will have itchy ears and they'll reject truth, sound, teaching, soundness. And they will have no soundness in their lives. That is 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the last days. What a time. Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. It's just going to intensify. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 13. In the last days, in the times of difficulty... People will be arrogant, prideful, abusive, lovers of money, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, reckless, not loving God, but lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. People will have the appearance of godliness, but empty of its power. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In the last days God. We learn that good will be called evil. Evil will be called good. Wrong for right, right for wrong. Isaiah 5, 2 Timothy 3. Those are what some of the last days is going to look like and sound like. How does it look like in the scale of today? So Paul comes to write in 1 Corinthians 3. He's going to touch the heart of the church that he's leading. There's an issue in the church that has risen has risen up and this is not anything uncommon today but it happened in Paul's day the church does really good to build camps I don't understand why Christians just can't be Christians and they could just stop calling themselves after other biblical scholars already so tired of that I'm a Lutheran I'm a Calvinist I'm a Christian I have no desire to be a Calvinist I have no desire to be a Lutheran. I have no desire to be a Paulite or a Peterite. I desire to be like Christ. Amen. But we built camps because of different theology and doctrines. And what it's done is it's destroyed really the church more than it has helped build the church. Because of... So Paul is settling this issue between those... In his church that took it upon themselves to to build camps between themselves. Camp number one was screaming out from the rooftops, we belong to Apollo. And then after they were done screaming, the other camp was like, we belong to Paul. So there were Apolloites and Paulites or Paulines or whatever you want to call them. So Paul writes a letter to them and says, I have some things to tell you. When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, Verse 4. When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of this world? When you divide yourself in camps, you're just dividing yourself, just the rest of the world does. After all, who is Apollos? He's not picking on Apollos, because watch what he says next. And who is Paul? He's, he's the writer. We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in the hearts. Apollo's watered it. But it's God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. Sometimes we, we look at these men that are planters and, and, and uh, gardeners. or and I was going to say waterers. And we give them... More important than the great gardener himself, our father, our God. We look at these men that are called to manage the field and we put them on a pedestal when in reality there's a great gardener that they're just being used by him. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Not me, not Apollo, God does it. The one who plants and the one who waters, they work together. Why are you causing camps? Why are you causing division? They work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their hard work. So there's rewards. For we are both God's workers and you are God's field. I love what he says next. You are God's building. Because buildings always have to look at at their foundation. Because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one, everyone say no one, so good, can lay any foundation other than the one that we've already laid. Why are you trying to lay another teaching, another foundation, another revelation? The foundation has already been laid, and we already have it. He says, Jesus Christ, verse 11, and anyone who builds on the foundation may use a variety of materials, gold and silver and jewels, wood, hay and straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. How are you building? The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, just like in Matthew chapter 7, when the wind and the rain comes and beat on the house. If the building survives, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, just like the building that collapses, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together, say all of us. Yes, together, together we are the temple of God and the spirit of God who lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys it. This temple, for God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. What a time. Stop deceiving yourselves if you think you are wise by the world's standards. You need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless So don't boast about following a particular human being or human leader for everything belongs to you whether Paul, Paulos or Peter or the world or life and death the present and the future everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. My God, Paul. Paul said it perfectly. Build your house, right? Whoever hears these sayings and does them is like a wise man. Whoever does not, hears them, hears them and does not do it is like a foolish man. In Proverbs 24, 27, I love this. I got it during worship, and I want to share it with you. It says, do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. I'm going to close up. But I want you to hear that again. Do your planning. Prepare your fields before building your house. Make sure the ground is right before you put a structure on that ground. It needs to be a good foundation. And this is the time that we're living in. I love what in John 14 the Lord says, And I want you to be encouraged with this. Jesus' exact words, he says this Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why would Jesus say, Don't let your hearts be troubled? Because they were going to live in troubling times. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So, what do I do then, God? Because I'm troubled. Anyone in here troubled? I'm troubled troubled Lord he says trust in God trust in me but I'm troubled because your foundation you're not trusting trust in me look at verse 2 there's more than enough room in my father's home you should see the house that he built that we're building up here If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you? Here's the great builder himself, Jesus, saying, I'm going to go now and build another house. I'm going to to build for you mansions, dwelling places. Look at verse 3. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Amen. But 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 until that day, verse one, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. I want you to Right there where you're at to really examine. Examine yourself. We've said so much today. I want you to truly examine your building. I want you to look at the structure of your life. Like, what are your truths? What are your ideas built upon? If the world gets darker, will you get dim with it, or will your light shine brighter? If other buildings around you begin to collapse, will yours stand strong? I want you very sensitively and truthfully, I want you to examine your heart. I want you to examine your foundation and if there are cracks in those foundations. What a beautiful time, what a time, what a time, what a time to come before the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, I need to deal with these issues. I want to be sh- I want to be certain, sure in you. I want to be a wise builder in the time that I'm in. And I want until the last day, until the day that I expire here, I want to be a building that is rooted in the the true foundation. I want to stay standing when so much around me is collapsing. I want to stay strong when so much around me is weak. I want to stay healthy when so much that is around me is sick. You've made me for such a time. Let's deal with these cracks. I'm guessing that this word could mean so many things to us. But I would like for maybe Tito to sing over us and as he does, if you really just need prayer today, just... And it's a prayer, not necessarily that, hey, we're going to transfer some sort of power unto you. It's a prayer that we're just going to come alongside you. And we're going to believe with you. And we're going to cry out with you. Cry out and say, Lord, allow this person to trust in you and lean not on their understanding. Lord, help them heal and deal with their cracks. For this is a time in which you called... Her and you've called him to live in. Make my brother, make my sister strong. If you know that you really just need to come alongside one and just pray for such a time. I'm gonna ask you to come up here. If you want to get on your knees, you could get on your knees. If you want to just lift up your hands, lift up your hands, just but surrender it all to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be a wise builder. I've I've learned that I'm a builder but I feel like maybe I've been foolish, but I want to start building wisely. So here I am with chisel and hammer, nail. Here I am ready to build and to build on a proper foundation. And at the end, I could be called wise. Teach me how to hear your words and actually do them. Not hear them and not acting on them. Teach me, Lord. So as we sing... If you feel led just to come up here and let us pray with you, we will. If you are a brother and a sister, a house that is being fitted together and you feel burdened and you want to come up here and just put your arms around one of the brothers, one of the sisters, they need you today. I invite you to come up and just pray alongside them and fight a battle with them right now and strengthen the building. Call out the good builders to come out. So if you feel led to do that, when a brother and a sister comes up, you're more than welcome to do that. Come on, let's, let's have some time of ministry here before the Lord. Let's have some time with God. Hallelujah, Lord.